Welcome to Global Dispatches. I am your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this podcast, we discuss topical global issues and we go deep with foreign policy thought leaders and celebrities who discuss their life and career. The nuclear deal with Iran is essentially a grand bargain. Iran agrees to curtail its nuclear program in exchange for a gradual easing of international and national sanctions. But as President Obama is fond of saying, the agreement is not based on trust, it's based on verification. And the entity responsible for verifying Iran's compliance with the nuclear accord is the International Atomic Energy Agency. Here with me to discuss how the IAEA will go about this mission is Tom Colina, policy director of the Plowshares Fund. We discuss the legal structure under which the IAEA will operate and the technical tools at inspector's disposal. We also discuss the personality of its executive director, Yukia Amano, a Japanese diplomat who is suddenly one of the most important and consequential players in Middle East diplomacy. For those of you really interested in the history and work of the IAEA and who among us is not, I want to point you to an earlier conversation I had with a former IAEA weapons inspector named Thomas Shea. We spoke in April, just as the framework agreement, which led to this final agreement, was being negotiated. You can find that episode on globaldispatchespodcast.com, where you can also send me an email to let me know what you think about the podcast, or let me know if you have suggestions of people I should interview, complaints, topics I should cover, you name it, I will respond. And for now, here is my conversation with Tom Colina of the Plowshares Fund. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, and, of course, this deal is not built on trust, but on verification. So the IAEA plays a essential role in the success of the deal. If people do not have confidence in what the IAEA is finding or do not have confidence that the IAEA uh, assessments say that Iran is not doing anything untoward. Um, so again, public perceptions and public confidence in the IA, IAEA will be tremendously important to the success of the deal. So how do these uh, inspections actually work? I mean, how will Iran, how will the IAEA go about um, you know verifying Iran's compliance with the strictures of this deal? Well, uh, there are multi layers of inspections and monitoring uh, in this deal. Um, so I'll just kind of walk through. Yeah, them. please do. I mean, you know, most countries uh, uh, in in order to get a nuclear uh, power facility you have to negotiate a safeguards agreement with the agency. Um, so that's the most basic level. You know, if you have a research reactor uh, in, say, Botswana, uh, you've got to work out a deal 
uh, a contract, if you will, with the agency to come and visit that facility um, every so often. It depends on the, on the facility how often it has to be visited. Um, and that's and, under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Uh, yes, although even if you haven't signed uh, the Non-Proliferation Treaty, um, you still have to have inspections uh, if you want to buy nuclear nuclear technology on the on the global market. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing if you build it yourself, but if you're going to buy it from somebody, um, they require you to have an agreement with the International Atomic Energy Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but most people uh, in that in that category are members of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and and that treaty specifies that you know any civilian nuclear activity has to be done under safeguards. And so the IAEA is the agency that um, that does that, um, and and particularly um, you know so there so there are facility specific inspections. Uh, then there are something called full scope inspections. Um, countries that have signed the NPT agree to have full scope inspections. That means any nuclear facilities on their territory have to be open to inspection, um, and then that gives them the right to get. Um, uh, peaceful nuclear assistance from the agency because the agency not only inspects countries but they also provide uh, financial and technical assistance to civil nuclear programs. So, uh, Iran is a signatory to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, indeed, uh, but indeed. it is not yet, or until yesterday, a, a signatory to the Additional Protocol. In my understanding, this deal. Um, says that Iran will comply with the additional protocol and eventually ratify it. Can you describe what that additional protocol is and, and what it means for IAEA inspections? Sure. So, so the additional protocol uh, was was designed after the Iraq War, the first when, Iraq War, the first Iraq War, when it was clear um, that the full scope safeguards were fine for known nuclear facilities. But it wasn't good enough to find unknown <laughs> nuclear facilities. In other words, inspectors could only go to the facilities that the country declared as part of the nuclear program. But obviously, if you were hiding something, you might do that in a facility that you do not declare as part of your nuclear program. So the additional protocol was designed to say, uh, look, not only are you opening your declared nuclear facilities, uh, but we have a right, we the agency – has a right to visit any site that we might suspect is part of your nuclear program, but you're not telling us. So that's so. In this case, um, the additional protocol is essential uh, to having a good sense of what Iran is doing. Iran, in fact, did sign the additional protocol many years ago, but never implemented it. And um, yeah. many countries, like some, like over 120 countries or so, have signed the additional protocol, but it's yes. not like as universal as the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Right, but the idea is that there should, should there should eventually be a perfect overlap between the NPT and the additional protocol. That's the goal, mm-hmm. um, and the but, deal moves us closer to that goal to the extent that Iran agrees to ratify and and apply the you know strictures of the uh, additional protocol you know, yeah. going forward. Right, right. We're trying to get to universal universality of the additional protocol, or at least as close as as, as the membership of the NPT. Um, uh, but it's a voluntary thing. Uh, and then countries that that sign it also have to ratify it, um, so it becomes a political issue, uh, and that's one of the issues here is that is that the the uh, pres- president Rouhani of Iran has agreed to sign it and begin to implement it. He cannot, you know, make the parliament 
um, ratify it. So that process has to move forward on a different time frame. But, but in the meantime, uh, Iran has said that it will implement the additional protocol, which is which is important. So, so the the sort of legal apparatus for pretty robust inspections are there. What technical tools do IAEA inspectors, either on the ground in Iran or back in uh, headquarters in Vienna, have at their disposal to actually, you know, go about, you know, the day-to-day minutiae or whatever it is of of um, you know, making sure that Iran's actually complying? Right. So, so in a nuclear facility, um, you will have you know various things that that a state can do and things that they can't do, and and the agency likes to be able to um, verify these things remotely if possible, uh, or or only intermittently. In other words, it's expensive to have um, inspectors just sitting there on site twenty four seven. So what they tend to do is they is if a if a if a room holds materials that shouldn't be used they put a seal on that room, and then they'll come back and check it uh, every once in a while uh, to make sure it hasn't been hasn't been broken. If it's very time sensitive they'll put a camera on it, um, and then they'll come and check the film. Uh, this was kind of the stuff they did in the old days where they had to come on the site and check film or check seals. What we understand is that for the Iran nuclear deal, they'll be using the latest technology, uh, which you can imagine has advanced um, in the last few years, where, for example, now uh, the tags and seals are fiber optic and might send a signal you know, back to Vienna, which is the headquarters of the agency, um, if a seal has been broken. Or the cameras uh, would send video to Vienna rather than the inspectors having to come to the site and check check the film or video. So this is getting much more automated. Uh, it's, it's much more uh, accessible for inspectors to check up on things uh, from their headquarters in Vienna, uh, but they, they still also do come. Uh, the other thing they do is, is, is take environmental samples. So if, if a country is working with nuclear material, uh, you know, even if you can't get access to a particular facility, there are ways to, to sniff the air around a facility uh, and get a sense of whether that facility is, is processing or using uh, various kinds of materials. Uh, so, so, you know, some combination of all those things. And then, you know, the, the main way they really do their job is they, is they count things, right? So if you're supposed to have, uh, you know, so many kilograms of uranium, uh, going into the system, and then the question is, what comes out of the system? So it's you know it, it's called uh, you know account. It, it's a it's a it's an accounting system that they use material balances to make sure that you have the same amount of material when you started, and and therefore nothing was diverted um, to a secret or clandestine end. Um, so you mentioned earlier that the um, you know that that this is expensive, right? That um, you know the, the the inspections, even high tech inspections, don't necessarily come cheaply. And at the press conference, uh, Yuki Amano, the IEA executive director, gave uh, the other day following the the nuclear signing of the nuclear deal, he said that just in the interim um, uh, between April when the the joint um, uh, framework was agreed upon till till this week when the final deal was struck. It cost the IAEA something like a million dollars a month just to have a, a pretty you know, minimal level of inspection going on. Uh, although he refused to um, speculate how much this like the new more robust levels of inspections might cost, but the point is it's going to be a lot. And the IAEA is not 
I, I think, uh, a very sort of big organization or necessarily like a wealthy organization. I was looking at some numbers earlier this week, and uh, you know, I saw the budget of the IAEA is something like $350 million, and you compare that to, that's like basically the size of a, the budget of a police force of like a mid-sized American city, like San Diego. Um, so uh, I guess how is the agency operating under these, you know, budget constraints and, and does the agency sort of feel these constraints in any meaningful way? You know, I'm, I'm not in there. I haven't talked to people recently what that's like, but I, you know, I assume that like most UN agencies, they're always doing things with less money than they would like to. And they're always looking for ways to, to reduce costs. Uh, but I have no doubt that in this case for the Iran deal, they will be able to raise additional funds from the UN system. I Basically, think. they'd go to like the board of governors and say, right. this was going to cost us you know, $10 million over the next six months. And because it's so politically high profile, they're going to get that money pretty easily. I would think so, but you know, but it's always um, it's anything in the UN is a political fight because there are some countries that don't like to be inspected, <laughs> and so and so they like uh, the the uh, IEA to have less funds. But uh, but in this case, I think uh, it would not be a problem for them to get the money they need to do the job. Um, so, you know, it seems given the the essential role that the agency has carved out for it by the the nuclear deal, I feel like uh, there's going to be a lot of attention on the director general Yuki Amano, who's a right. former Japanese diplomat. Can you just tell me, like, where does he come from? What's his style? What what do people think and 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 feel and and say about him? He, I think, he's done a very good job of appearing to be nonpartisan uh, because, you know. The agency has to has to operate uh, among, for example, you know, the P five plus one as well as Iran, and be accepted as a as a fair broker uh, by all sides. And so he seems to have done a good job, given that he successfully worked with the P five plus one and Iran uh, on its part of this of of the IAEA's part of this deal. Um, that he's he's very good at at sort of. Keeping an even keel, keeping a neutral tone. Uh, sometimes that's frustrating when when he's in uh, interviews where he doesn't seem to be saying anything. But I think in part I've he's noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> I, he's he's sort of like the oracle. Everyone's trying mm. to. Really I was watching to... this this um, this web stream of him speaking. I think at like the Council on Foreign Relations or something earlier this year, and I knew he was saying like very important things, but it was so hard to decipher. Uh, right. Not from like an accent point of view, but but from like like you said, he's sort of like an oracle. Like I think his his words seem to be so very carefully chosen. Yes, and so he's trying to offend you know nobody, um, and and play his his neutral role, and that's and that's very important because I think you know there are some uh, predecessors of his that were perceived to be partisan to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's he's trying to avoid yeah. that. And, and you're probably referring to Mohammed El Baradai, right? Like who who yeah. you know is the Nobel Peace Prize winner who had a pretty fractious relationship with the Bush administration. Right, right. Uh, so Amano is clearly trying to avoid that model, and he seems to be succeeding. Um, so what what are the the next steps now for for him in particular? Like what is uh, Amano's key role right now? Uh, well, so they've. They've negotiated this deal with Iran to explore their possible military dimensions. And this was a separate deal to the P5 plus one deal. This is a joint IAEA-Iran. They're calling it like the roadmap, right? Yeah, but it's very, it's very much ingrained in the whole thing. I mean, 
resolving the issues um, because Iran is is suspected and there's there's pretty strong evidence that Iran was involved in uh, some nuclear weapons design development activities up until 2003. Um, and so what the agency wants to do is is get to the bottom of that. What exactly did they do? Um, who was part of it? Is 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 anything left going on? And, and is there any you know documentation left from that? Uh, and that is part of uh, resolving those questions is part of the the Iran deal that was finalized this week. So in order for Iran to get the sanctions relief that is what Iran wants out of this deal, um, it's got to satisfy the agency that it's come clean on all of its past activities. I mean that's so that's a key part of what it has to do, and I believe that Amano has said that that he expects. Um, that information to be received and that the agency can make a judgment uh, by December. And would that then set in motion the process by which sanctions may be eased? Well, that and other things. So it's so it's so Iran has to uh, abide or or in a sense meet the agency's information requests um, and the agency needs to determine that Iran is not currently involved in illicit activities. Uh, so that's kind of a seal of approval that the agency has to do. Uh, then Iran has to disable, uh, you know, two thirds of its uranium centrifuges. It has to um, downblend or or dilute or otherwise get out of the country about ninety eight percent of its stockpile of low enriched uranium, uh, and it also needs to disable uh, the Iraq plutonium production reactor. So if it does those four things, then the sanctions can removal can move forward. In what ways might this deal, uh, one way or the other, impact like the overall operations of the IAEA, or might it in any way? Well, again, if they if they don't get additional resources to do this job, then I think it would it would become a draw on their activities in other countries. So I think the only way to uh, monitor the Iran deal well is to get additional resources. For the agency, because uh, it's going to take, you know, I imagine there'll be an additional fifty to one hundred uh, personnel that they have to hire to to get this done. So, so they'll need um, some assistance, and it's essential that they get it. Uh, great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tom. You're welcome. Anytime. Well, exciting times as always in international diplomacy. Thank you to for speaking with me at last minute and wow what an amazing week what an amazing breakthrough and it is absolutely certainly a topic that we'll be covering and, and talking to people about for many years to come as this thing takes shape and i think it will I'm, I'm relatively optimistic about the prospects for success of this one so as always i do ask if you're a regular listener to this show that you leave a review on itunes it helps other people who are similarly foreign policy nerdy minded to uh, discover the show so thank you in advance for doing that thank you all for listening and we have some great great things coming up the rest of the month see you later bye